From the future, Mr. Gitz, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Please welcome the two men who shot Liberty Valance, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. So, I'm not doing the show solo. I just don't have Mark here at the moment because Mark is is uh, in his kitchen putting mashed bananas into the refrigerator. Wait, wait, wait. So I put the mashed bananas in a piece of Tupperware. Yes, you do. And you don't I put this in the refrigerator, or should I just leave it out? Oh yeah, you want to leave mashed bananas sitting out. In fact, in fact, set them outside uh, and on the on the in the sun. Yeah, bananas aren't good. In Why the... not? Okay, so put them in the refrigerator. Of course. Well, you, well, you're not supposed to put bananas in the refrigerator. Don't they get all brown and disgusting and rotted? And when rotted? are you going to make this banana bread? When we're done with the show. Peanut butter banana bread. Put, put them in the refrigerator for just for, for it, it, honestly, for an hour. It's not going to make a difference. Good grief. Welcome to the show, everybody. It's not a sitcom. It's an actual podcast. Um, you know what? We're, uh, we're going to start off. I'm just going to start off talking. Why not? No particular news. We've been uh, seeing movies nonstop lately. Uh... It's getting to be that season. Fall season's coming on. And for those who haven't seen it, by the way, Ron Howard's Rush is unbelievable. Absolutely amazing. You've got to go see it. Prisoners is really good, too. Uh, but Rush is uh, one of the great films of the year. Best film Ron Howard has ever made, hands down. So you know what? I'm going to blow through some... While Mark is out of the room, since he hates it when I talk about anime, uh, I'm going to blow through some anime real quickly. And uh, most notably, we want to welcome a new, uh, a, a new company, to our uh, roster of companies whose uh, stuff that we cover normally. And uh, it's, it's nice to find a great new anime company because normally Funimation is the only, uh, the only anime company that we normally talk about with a regular basis. Viz sometimes, who does stuff through Warner Brothers. Um, but um, the, uh, the anime field has really, really been winnowed lately. And uh, Section 23 Films has acquired a lot of libraries, a lot like Sente Filmworks and a bunch of the other libraries that uh, were previously available mm-hmm. through a lot of other uh, different companies like ADV Films, which isn't around anymore. And um, we are happy to talk about some uh, titles from Section 23 Films. Well, you know what, we know what else we're happy to talk about, which what? you did mention? What? We have an interview today. Yes, we do. That's true. We have an interview. We have a part it's one. It's called a tease, Wade. In TV, it's called a tease. you got to tease have, that thing. We have part one. Part one, we're going to split it into two parts. Part one of our interview with John Badham. The director of? <laughs> She's the director of... Uh, War Games. War Games. Saturday Night Fever. Saturday Night Fever. Uh, uh, Full Metal Jacket, right? What? Star no. Wars? <laughs> they tr- he wrote uh, a book on directing. That's he wrote just a book terrific. on directing. Uh, you know, Blue Thunder, uh, The Hard Way, uh, you know, uh, Point of No Return. Sh- uh, Stakeout. Stakeout. Both Stakeouts, one and two. I mean, on and on and on. I mean, just, you know, a legendary director and, and kind of one of the forefathers of the tentpole film before there were tentpoles. So, uh, but anyway, we're, we're going to talk just for a second about a few films from uh, Section 23 Films. The, uh, an anime house that is really keeping alive a lot of great titles. And most importantly, I want to talk about the fact that the Blu-ray, in case you didn't know this, it was formerly available from ADV Films, and uh, it is now available uh, in Blu-ray. From Section 23, Grave of the Fireflies, remastered edition on Blu-ray. Uh, Grave of the Fireflies is one of the greatest animated films ever made. Not just one of the great anime of all time, but one of the greatest animated films, period, across the board. If you've never seen it, you need to see this. It is absolute, and it's not, it's not like a kiddie film. It's emotionally brutal. It is devastating how powerful this is. Um, because it's basically, uh, it's about Japan at war and children in war. And uh, without giving you any of the other details of, uh, of what this film is and what it does. It is really an extraordinary experience. You just, if, even if you don't like anime, you're just gonna, you're, it will blow your mind how good Grave of the Fireflies is. Uh, completely remastered for Blu-ray. It is gorgeous. It is absolutely fantastic. And uh, I, I just think this is, I can't believe I didn't even know about this before. It is a treasure to have this film available on Blu-ray. It is a must-have for anybody with a Blu-ray collection. Some other stuff that they have released from the uh, Sente Filmworks uh, library Bodacious Space Pirates 1 This is episodes 1 through 13 Of Bodacious Space Pirates Only the Japanese Would do an animated series Called Bodacious Space Pirates Space Pirates, sure Bodacious Space Pirates 
Mark, come on. Give it up for the little girls in, in pirate outfits. Oh, welcome to Japan. <laughs> I, I, I've been to Japan. That place is nuts. That place has some serious, weird, creepy, hidden, hidden in plain sight fetishes that is just ridiculous. <laughs> There's some guys wearing raincoats at home while they're watching the, uh, the cute little girls in pirate outfits. Uh, it's actually not bad. It, I, I watched an episode, just one, and it's, it, it doesn't make any sense. It's, it's cute. Uh, like a lot of those things are cute. Kids on the Slope, yeah. Uh, this is from the, a lot of people who did Cowboy Bebop. And it's okay. It uh, takes place in the 1960s, and it's, uh, it, it's sort of the Japanese look at, you know, the, like the 60s American life with a touch of the 60s Japanese life and kids with a band and, you know, learning how jazz is, like, liberating. And I, it's, you know, it is what it is. It's a, it's a little bit odd. Uh, I got a thing here called uh, Another, which is a series that only lasted 12 episodes. And uh, it's okay. It's another one of these, uh, you know, one of these girl drama things. Um, it's all right. It, it, you know, the Japanese tend to get a little bit into the, into the politics of teenage girls, sometimes a little bit too much. Uh, but it's all right. Another complete collection, uh, Suritama, Suritama, T-S-U-R-I-T-A-M-A. Pronounce it however you want to. Uh, this is, uh, I did not have a chance to, to watch much of this. Basically about a kid named Yuki, uh, moves in with his grandmother, you know, new life, making new friends, etc., etc. I'm sure it turns into something, uh, absolutely just, uh, devastatingly horrible. Murder and who knows what else. A um, few other ones here that I'll blow through real quickly, just so that you know that they exist. All, uh, this is also from Sente Filmworks, Dusk Maiden of Amnesia, the complete collection. This comes with a couple of soundtrack CDs, and uh, all of these are in Blu-ray, by the way. This is all Blu-ray. Uh, Twelve episodes, two Blu-rays, two soundtrack CDs. Looks pretty groovy. Looks like really cool animation. I will, uh, I'll be trying to get around to that at some point soon. You know what? This, this website says if you have mashed bananas, you should put them in the freezer. Well, by all means, go do Although that. Although this one says store mashed bananas in the refrigerator in more than two, three days. Okay, fine. I just never know which website to trust. Are you done talking about this crap yet? No, almost. Give me, give me uh, four more minutes. Just four more minutes. If you want to time me, you're welcome to. And then uh, we have a thing called The Garden of Words uh, from the animator Makoto Shinkai, who is really a great animator. I've not seen a lot of, uh, of his work. But it's, uh, it's quite nice. Um, narratively, pretty slow. Uh, kind of uh, meditative and philosophical, but really, really nicely animated. Very, very cool. And then the one that most excites me outside of uh, uh, Fireflies is Ninja Scroll, the motion picture. Yeah, baby, Ninja Scroll. There it is. Uh, out again on Blu-ray. Finally, for the first time on Blu-ray. Uh, this also was uh, out of print for quite a while when, the, uh, when all those libraries were changing hands. And Ninja Scroll is just cool, man. Uh, it is really, really, uh, it is really a mind trip. You, you got to check this out. So uh, if you haven't seen Ninja Scroll, if you don't own it, it's on Blu-ray. Fans will love this. It is just going to blow your mind. And uh, some of this stuff, you can, they come with, you know, little posters, and it's a whole groovy thing. And then also, quickly from uh, Funimation, uh, Blu-ray DVD combo pack of Guilty Crown Part 2. Uh, you know what? More cute girls in uh, more harrowing situations. Uh, if you're a fan of uh, Is This a Zombie of the Dead? What? We're going to talk more about zombie movies later. Uh, this is the complete second season. Uh, you know, this is just strange stuff. I, it's, uh, it, it's like some of the weird... Uh, fetishistic obsessions that they have in their regular anim- the regular non-animated films of live action films coming into animation uh, we got a nice box set of uh, The Future Diary Part 1 and Part 2 that's a box set both of them uh, in the same um, that is, is a little bit of a mind trip as well very nicely animated and then um, we've got uh, hold on let me see what else I can get through in four minutes or in less than four minutes now um yeah, Blu-ray DVD combo of uh, Last Exile. Um, this is the l- very this is the concluding chapter of the Last Exile, which uh, I, I have also seen very very little of. Pretty cool animation, kind of again uh, a little bit incomprehensible. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eureka Seven Astral Ocean Part One. Have not watched this. 
but uh, it uh, it appears to have a following. I've talked to a few people who are anime fans who are like, "Oh, you gotta watch it. You gotta check it out. Uh, it's it's amazing." And uh, then this is the one that I uh, I wanted to point everybody to because this is a really cool box set. Dragon Ball Z Rock the Dragon Edition. This is a nice big swinging boxed set. Uh, that will uh, look very nice on your shelf in the place where nothing else fits, where you stack all those box sets that uh, just have absolutely no, uh, that are ergonomically not suited to your shelf. Um, you, this comes with a 48-page hardback art book. If you're a fan of all the artwork in Dragon Ball Z... All the artwork in Dragon Ball Z to me is the same. It's cool. It's so dragony. Anyway, so there's that. That's, the, that's our uh, quick anime uh, run-through. And Mark, we have got some big movies this week. We got big independent films. We got big uh, studio films. We got some pretty great stuff. I, I like the sound of that. We got Let's some go pretty great it. stuff. And Let's do it. first off, Mark, we got a couple of zombie movies. I love zombies. I do. Zombies now, are awesome. If I had to say to you, okay, which one of these looks like the more legit movie? I mean, something called World War Z in 3D. Brad Pitt. I don't know who he is. Or come on, give it up for. Cockneys versus zombies. You know, here's, here's Come a, on, no, which one of these? No, here's the thing. Which, with, which one gets your fancy? I I don't like these like movies that try to be hilarious just off the title. Cockney <laughs> versus zombies. Vampires versus uh, cockneys. Michael Caine versus uh, <laughs> something. It's just you know I just the only one of those sorts of movies I can handle are all are all the uh, Edgar Wright movies, Shaun of the Dead, and yeah, those movies are fun. Yeah, but this is just. One of those, actually, it's, it's very Corman esque. You know, it's almost like he came up with the title first, yeah, and then figured the movie out later. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I'll pass on Cockney versus Zombies. <laughs> However, I have to say that given its uh, considerable flaws, I do have uh, good feelings toward World War Z. Um, this movie, as you know, was uh, famously uh, shot at great expense, and then it was supposed to tank. And then tens of millions of dollars was spent on this gigantic Russian finale where the zombies overthrow overthrow Moscow. Yeah, and it was all thrown out. And it was totally, the third act was totally rewritten. And it became this very quiet, tense little sequence where Brad Pitt has to go through a facility and get something. I'm not going to give it away. Yeah. So they went from the, you know, the $40 million Moscow gigantic finale to Brad Pitt skulking through hallways yeah. at the cost of a couple million dollars. So it was famously, this thing was a famously troubled production. And you can sort of tell, you, you can sort of sense the disconnect between the movie they thought they were making and the movie they wound up with. Yeah. But that being said, I just think zombies are cool. I do. I think this is... Uh, and you know, what's funny is that Brad Pitt, and I love Brad Pitt. I will apologize for him forever. I, think I, I agree. Uh, he's never been in a film like this. Like, top-lining, a A-list, yeah. $200 million, 10-pole well, action film. And even though the character isn't much... It, and part of the problem with the well, movie is that... Let's be honest. This, it's, it's not like this is a Brad Pitt vehicle. This is a zombie movie that Brad Pitt happens to be in. Okay, it's not. It's not as if this is Terminator, where you know Schwartz. I mean, what is what is the Terminator without Schwarzenegger, right? It, it, he's the he's the draw, or Die Hard with Bruce Willis. Brad Pitt is not the draw here. The draw are zombies taking over the earth. Awesome, and there's okay. some great zombie sequences yeah. when the zombies take over Jerusalem. That's terrific. I got to tell you, I, he, he, I my feelings about this, which I did not watch in the theater, but my feelings are it's uh, uh, too much CGI, and I still like uh, Twenty Eight Weeks. Later, which I think this is very similar to in certain uh, narrative respects. Well, all those. Well, this is much grander and but, bigger scaled and visually. Now, twenty eight weeks later, which I like a lot, by the way. Twenty eight weeks is, later, and I like twenty eight days later, but twenty eight weeks later to this day, because it doesn't have. An, it's not. It's not a CGI monstrosity. Twenty eight weeks later it scares the daylights out of me. It really does. It scares the living daylights out of me. And. Um, now this film has the Blu-ray of this film. This uh, package has the uh, Blu-ray 3D. The Blu-ray and the DVD. And the blue, regular Blu-ray has Blu-ray yes. 3D, regular Blu-ray, and, and the DVD. And digital copy. And a digital, Ultraviolet, and baby. So I, I acknowledge its flaws, and, uh, but it is a surprising success. I, yes. The movie did very well. They're going to make a sequel. And uh, I think we were all surprised by that. And you know what else I was surprised by was uh, Cockneys vs. Zombies. Because Who the, the cockneys or the zombies? Well, <laughs> this is a Blu-ray and Who, digital copy. The answer is you, the audience. You win because you get to see Cockney versus Zombies. You know, the funny thing is they they let me let me. Here's the thing that they have on one of the quotes that they use to promote this. 
uproariously funny, a rollicking mashup of Shaun of the Dead and Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Now, isn't Shaun of the Dead already a mashup? So, so this is a mashup of a mashup? It, it, it doesn't really make any sense to me. Uh, anyway, the, there's also a, uh, on the, uh, this, I find this to be hilarious. The, the marketing stuff on these things often really just blows me away. Are Americans really supposed to make sense of that tagline? The undead are brown bread. What the? What does that mean? Brown bread's a big deal if you live across the pond. Yeah, but you, you see this on the shelf at uh, Best Buy. You pick it up. It's like, oh, what's that? The undead are brown bread. Brown what? bread. What kind of brown bread? Bread like wheat bread. I mean, come on. It, it, don't throw that on there. Leave that for the UK crowd. They'll understand that. Anyway, look, it, it's Cockneys versus Zombies in London. Uh, done, done deal. There's re- the title tells you everything you need to know about this. Um, and, and yeah, you, you get a bunch of you know uh, bank robbers who bump into the zombies, and yeah, it's it's funny and, and fits and starts. It's not really quite worked out as well as it should be, but the actors kind of save it. Some very funny actors in this, like Richard Briers is in it, who I just always love. Uh, but uh, you get a couple of audio commentaries, behind the scenes stuff, and uh, it's all right. It's okay. Um, Unfinished Song is a movie that I absolutely, categorically, without any uh, reservation, love. And I I recommend this to everybody. I'm so sorry this is not on Blu-ray. But it should be on Blu-ray, darn it all. And uh, I would encourage uh, Anchor Bay and the Weinstein Company to get this thing on Blu-ray as fast as possible. Because um, they're thinking... Oh, it's a it's it's primarily aimed at older people, and older people, you know, like retired people, don't have uh, Blu-ray players. So why even bother? Because you know what, people in their thirties and forties, people who have Blu-ray players, are going to love this movie too. Just because it's a, about old people, doesn't mean that it doesn't have an appeal. For crying out loud, Terrence Stamp and Vanessa Redgrave, give me a break. They're awesome. Can I tell you the problem though? Not the problem with Do you song. not love Terrence Stamp? Oh, he's the best. Well, look. I actually rewatched The Limey recently. It's so good. Freaking awesome. No, can I tell you something? Here's yeah. the situation. Yeah. Here's the reason why these companies are scared of older people in Blu rays. Yeah. Because all these. They're new scared bl- of older people? Yes. Because they, they, they don't have teeth? That's correct. Yeah. They, they mash them. Like yeah. bananas. Um, because all these new Blu ray players require these. Updates that get downloaded from the internet. Like my PS3 is constantly yeah. downloading uh, updates. Sure. Because I'm connected to Wi-Fi. But old, like literally, my mother has a Blu-ray player. She cannot play Blu-rays <laughs> on it at all because her firmware is too outdated, and she's not connected to the internet to download the latest firmware. Because most 71-year-olds aren't. Yes. You can't just buy a Blu-ray player and say here. Goddamn Blu-ray player, go play Blu-rays. Oh no, it's got to download some new piece of firmware every three weeks, and the, and if you don't download True. one of them, you cannot play Blu-rays on them. That is crap. I know, and that's why a lot of people preferred HD DVD because HD DVD at the time didn't it promised to be a a firm spec. You know, if you follow the spec, it will play on every player all the time, forever until the end of time. Blu-ray. Sony decided to leave it a somewhat open spec. So, yeah, you know, people can go out there with their mastering uh, and, and do things in mastering a Blu-ray that would suddenly throw a player for a loop. And That's then right. that player would actually have to, the manufacturers of that player would have to play catch-up and do the, up, the, the up, update. And, and older people, by the way, are not doing any of that noise. They, don't know, they don't know what's going on. Well, that said, let me just say, Unfinished Song is absolutely wonderful. This is uh, one of those feel-good Weinstein movies that they just they do so well. I have a feeling that this movie may get a little bit of an Oscar push later in the year. I think Weinstein's going to evaluate their, their, uh, their horses, the ones that they really are pushing in the race. But I, I, could see, uh, I could see Terrence Stamp getting a little push in this, and Gemma Atherton as well, who I absolutely adore, uh, or Gemma Arterton, um, who is just wonderful. The, the, the idea here is basically that Terrence Stamp uh, is this curmudgeonly old guy, and his wife, Vanessa Redgrave, is, is, uh, is, is dying of cancer. And he's just, a, he's just angry, and he doesn't like the fact that she's got this singing group that she goes to. He thinks she should be much more serious about you know, fighting her disease and going out with grace. And uh, Christopher Eccleston plays their son. He's, got, you know, he's been estranged from his dad, and you know, they, they, all these family issues. And uh, Gemma is the, uh, the wonderful young woman who leads the singing group, these old people who are just finding joy in the later years. And it is basically about how this curmudgeonly old guy who thinks his life is just vanishing and he's never made an effort to be nice to anyone, including his son, how he comes through all of his his wife's activities singing with this group to reconcile himself to finding a little bit of late-life joy. I I kid you not, this movie will have you crying, bawling, gigantic buckets by the end. You've never seen Terrence Stamp be so wonderful and so accessible. He's awesome. He's great. 
Speaking of awesome, an interesting film uh, from Sofia Coppola called The Bling Ring. Now, The Bling Ring is based on that uh, notorious story of a couple of years ago where these fame-obsessed teenagers broke into, like, Paris Hilton's house. Yeah. And a bunch of celebrity homes and stole, stole their jewelry and their shoes and their dresses. And they and lived the high life and their drugs. They lived the high life until yeah. they were caught. And um, some of them uh, wound up in jail. So this is Coppola's take on The Bling Ring. And The Bling Ring was the name of the group. That yeah. Actually, when this story went down... The media had dubbed them yeah. the whole story, the bling ring. So the movie title is based on the title that the media had given exactly. these girls. So this is an interesting movie. Now we all know what Sofia Coppola's style is like. It's very detached, austere. It's very, very you know austere. you know I've I've often said she's much more like uh, and she herself would even say this. She she doesn't so much take after her father as she does Antonioni. Oh, and, sure. and Antonioni is really the touchstone for Sofia Coppola's uh, uh, particular style and approach to material. And it, it was her dad who introduced her to Antonioni, you know. So What I find interesting is that here is a story about two vapid, noxious, empty people. And she winds up making a noxious, vapid, empty movie. But it works because they're about empty, vacuous people. Well, a lot. You know. So, so she uses her st- so the, her visual style and her approach to movie making actually winds up being completely in line with who these people are. Yeah, because he's so it's it's a very interesting way to look at a movie because normally in any film you want to be involved in the characters, you want to be involved in the story, you want to be swept away. That's kind of not what this film is. This no. film actually tells the story visually, aesthetically, even musically. Exactly as these people are, which is just a total all empty spectacle. All they do is they just they just name check all sorts of famous brands, break into some homes, have a bunch of parties. They're just completely just horrible, empty people. And it's like this is like an empty movie, but that's I, who these people are. I almost feel like this is a companion film to her first film. Mm-hmm. You know, um, in, in a in a strange way, Virgin Suicides. Or, yeah, yeah, the Virgin Suicides. I, I feel like it's uh, in in some ways um, dealing with a lot of the same themes, completing some of those themes, maybe approaching them uh, in a different way. So I I, uh, I think it's a really, it's not one of her best, but certainly really interesting, and it uh, it shows that she's got chops for irony and humor in ways that I hadn't ever really seen before. Well, I, I think people's disappointment with the film, if I can speak for people who didn't like yeah. it, the disappointment was that she didn't really have she didn't really make any comment on it. She wasn't really making any sort of... Uh, there's no commentary here on true. the state of celebrity worship Very or true. the state of these kids today, that kind of thing. She pretty much just tells the story in her own detached style of these yep. own detached people, and then the movie ends. Very true. Uh, so people were disappointed in that. And, and, and in a sense, I was too... I would be very curious to see what Coppola thinks about these people. Yep. You won't get that from the movie. No. But um, still, I think it's a very interesting work. It is. Lingering. I, I concur. I concur completely. No, I want to give you... Mark, yes. did you have a chance to see The Kings of Summer? The Kings of Summer? Kings of Summer. I, I, no. You didn't see The Kings of Summer? Well, they sent it to you. They didn't send it to me. Okay. Well, it was in, it was in release. I did not see it in release. You did not see it in release. A lot of people didn't. It's a, it's a really nice uh, coming-of-age film. It reminds me a little bit. It, it's got a stand-by-me-ish uh, thing, but it also has a little uh, quality of the war. Did you ever see The War? Do you remember The War? Kevin Costner? Yeah. Oh, my God. It was a long time ago. I know. Good movie, though, right? Really good movie. It is a good movie. It's a great performance by Kevin Costner. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of that. It's, uh, it's about these uh, three buddies... And uh, they become the kings of summer. What they're doing is they're building a, uh, uh, they're building kind of a little refuge in the woods during the summer, which they intend to sort of be their, I guess, you know, it's supposed to symbolically be their transition to manhood, right? Their little, uh, it's not a tree house, it's like a house house or some kind of a weird hillbilly house. And uh, they want to kind of uh, just liberate themselves from their, you know the, the the lives that they're living with their parents and kind of be independent. And um, obviously, there becomes all of these transitional issues and things that they have to deal with. Um, it's a it's a good film. It's not a great film, but it's certainly good enough that I want to see what this uh, director uh, Jordan Roberts goes on to do in the future, because uh, it's it's very nicely put together. And I think it was a very savvy acquisition by CBS Films who uh, picked this up at Sundance, and um, for a surprising amount of money, CBS really seems to overpay for everything. But I'm I, surprised CBS Films is still around. It's amazing, isn't it? I but mean, they've really done a lot of what, crappy, well, they made, a lot they, of crappy when films. When they were making their own stuff, they were making crap. When they started acquiring films and overpaying for them, they wound up getting some good films. 
And they seem to be able to actually generate some money out of the films that they're picking up. I mean, Salmon Fishing in the Yemen, they paid a stupid amount of money for it, but they made it back. It was Oscar nominated. So there you go. And they also did Seven Psychopaths. Yes, they did. That's right. That was, and that was a pickup as well. Seven Psychopaths. Not a good movie, but it had the funniest sequence of that year. Did I, you, did Seven Psychopaths had this hilarious sequence in a, um, in a uh, graveyard. Yes. Like a fantasy sequence. Mm-hmm. And it was so gut-bustingly funny. It was the best thing all year in terms of comedy. Outstanding. I'm going to take a drink of water, and I'm going to let you share your love for Jason Statham. He's the worst. Now, this is a, now as you can see, this isn't just Jason Statham. This is Jason Statham looking very pensive on the cover of the Blu-ray. For oh, as opposed to redemption, as opposed to his last six or seven films where he looked introspective on the cover of the the, 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 the Blu-rays. You know, yeah. the thing is, is that because when he looks introspective, the mo- I don't really want to see the movie. But when he looks pensive, it, I'm all over it. I, I tell you, it's a huge difference. Look, if he wants to go off and, and do all the crappy films he does, I mean, I guess that's fine. But mm-hmm. why does he keep having to go off and do the crappy films he does? I don't know. I just, you know, maybe there's either he, look, you know, we don't have any Jean-Claude Van Damme's anymore. No. You know, we don't have any Chuck Norris's anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? They, those guys, those guys are like 80s yeah. relics. Statham is sort of the last man standing yeah. in terms of that kind of vibe. But you know what? I don't miss it because I don't like his movies. I'm just kind of tired of him. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's... Um, of course, Statham plays like, you know, this special forces ops officer. He comes home from the war. He's troubled. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's very genre. Yeah. You know, um, but I, I just don't really think Jason's... I, I think that right now Statham is not that great an actor because he's not really training himself to be anything more than what he's been doing. Mm-hmm. He's not growing as an actor. Nope. So even if he comes home from Afghanistan and, and descends into booze and drugs... He's still Jason Statham. True. Because you know he's going to wind up kicking ass at the end anyway. Yep. This isn't like, this is not, Redemption is not like Days of Wine and Roses. You know what no. I mean? It's not going to be, it's not a great film. <laughs> Days of Wine and Roses. Jason Statham and Days of Wine and Roses. That, that's a remake I want to see. I mean, the only thing I'll, I'll give it is that it was shot by Chris Menges. Oh, who needs to direct again for crying out loud? He well, really why does. Why is he directing this? I mean, why? I'm sorry. Why is he shooting this? He's shooting that because no one will hire him to direct movies anymore, That's which is terrible. which is sad because he's directed some amazing movies. He's a great director. He's a better director than three fourths of the guys making stuff today. Um, you know what, Mark? I'm going to talk for a second about this the, thing. The big, the big mama is unbelievable. The big mama this week. Unbelievable. The Dark Knight trilogy Ultimate Collector's Edition. You know, the, the most amazing thing about this box set, when it arrived, when, when uh, uh, FedEx delivered this, I thought, well, how am I ever going to put that on the shelf? That's awfully big. Um, not even sure I can get that through the front door. So I had to open it outside, and I realized, you know what, once, uh, once the included Batmobile full-size... Um, full-size Batmobile? Full-size Batmobile. Once I take that out of the box and put that in the garage... The rest of it fits on the shelf pretty easily. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, well, except for the, you know, the bat copter. That, oh. that I have to kind of leave in the backyard until I figure out a place to put it. Awesome. It includes just about everything else. Um, no, this is just a, this is a monster. This is uh, obviously all three films, uh, Batman Begins, Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises, in a great big hunkin' box. Uh, the usual boxed set size that, will, again, will not fit on your shelf. Kind of the same form factor as the, uh, the Dragon Ball Z. And, you know, things like the Ben-Hur set and the Lawrence of Arabia set. They all come in the, in the, you know, the size that's sort of more like a coffee table book than anything else. And it's, it's exactly one of those boxes. The beauty of this is it includes uh, Ultraviolet, which I think is really cool. So you get Ultraviolet of all three films. And here's what else you get. And the transfers are the same. The, the, the Blu-ray transfers are the same as what's been out previously, which is to say outstanding. Here's what else you get. You get a letter from Christopher Nolan, specifically to each person who purchases this. It's customized <laughs> to each. How does he know? I don't know. It's, it's, I guess when they swipe your credit card. Maybe. Must go, be. Goes to He's been Nolan. busy. He's getting writer's cramp. Uh, no, there's a letter from Christopher Nolan. I don't know why they think that's a cool extra. And then uh, you get five frameable, as opposed to the unframable variety, five frameable villain prints from Mondo. Now, Mondo prints are cool. I know they are, but, like, frameable? What, why, why say frameable? Actually, who's, you know gonna, what? who's actually going to frame them? It turns out you must frame them, because if you don't frame them, Christopher Nolan will write you another letter. <laughs> that's right. 
Anyway, no, the better, the, and here's the really cool stuff. There's a 48-page photo book, and uh, there are actually uh, reproductions of the tumbler and the bat pod and, uh, and the bat. So all of those things that you get in here, not obviously full size, but you get cool little, uh, little mini replicas of them, uh, which are uh, actually pretty, uh, pretty awesome. And the Mondos are, are awesome, too. I mean, I just don't know that anybody's going to actually frame them. And then as far as being on the discs themselves, there are, uh, there's an hour and a half at least of uh, new extra stuff, all behind-the-scenes featurette junk. So it, clearly they're going for the anti-Paramount, anti-Star Trek approach, which is to say, yeah, we're going to give you everything that we've got. We're not really going to save this for any, uh, any, any exclusive crap anymore. Everybody who buys this, you get everything we've got. Done. This is it. The big mama, the last word on the Dark Knight trilogy. It really is the last word. It's the last word. I mean, what, what, what else can they possibly release? I can't imagine. It's a beautiful, beautiful set. It's a fantastic set. And, uh, but here's the thing. I have the, I have the Blu-ray box set, just like the mini one. Yeah. It's just got the three, fits in your shelf, it's fine. Yeah. If you have that, do you need this one? As a Christmas gift, definitely. If you're a Batman fan in your family and you want to get this as a Christmas gift, no-brainer. But do you want to upgrade for a hundred and something bucks just to get the little Mondo thing and the... The only book. thing the only thing I'm going to say, the only thing that would really be appealing, most of that stuff is fluff. The, you know, the car and the, the pod and the, the, all that junk. The, yeah, that's whatever. The extras are cool. The additional featurettes, 90 minutes. I mean, if you're really into that, that's cool. And the ultraviolet capability for all three films, really cool. So I would, I would say if, you know, th- those things make it worth it if you're going to use them. Otherwise, if you're just going to be loading in the Blu-rays and watching the movies, no, you don't really need to. By the way, Wade, within seconds we have our interview with John Badham. Part yes, we one. do. Part one, of our, part, interview. part one of our interview with John Batham coming momentarily. Now, also coming even sooner than that is yes. uh, our discussion of uh, Halloween, the 35th yeah. anniversary edition. This is John Carpenter's Halloween. It's never just a John Carpenter-directed movie. It's always John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah. John Carpenter's Escape from New York. Now, how can we knock Robert Rodriguez for doing the same thing when John Carpenter did it in the 70s and the 80s? See, that's not fair. Double standard. Because we love John Carpenter. We don't like Robert Rodriguez. John Carpenter is talented. Oh. That's why. Tower. Yeah. Uh, there was some uh, controversy with the previous Blu-ray edition of Halloween and uh, regarding, uh, you know, the color timing and just the visual look of it. Mm-hmm. The transfer monkey, what the transfer monkey did. Now, luckily, Anchor Bay, we love Anchor Bay, they actually went back and uh, redid the whole thing. Yes, they did. And it looks fan. Fantastic! This looks Halloween has never looked better. It looks almost brand new. The and colors it's a, are great. It's a, it's a Blu-ray book thing. They went and did you know the Blu-ray book approach that's becoming so popular with uh, Warner Brothers and Fox and others. God, it's got a great new soundtrack. Seven point one lossless can't uh, beat that. And of course, this is not a uh, this is not a oral you know sensation. This is just a low budget film that cost. This movie cost like three hundred twenty five thousand dollars or something, and it made mm-hmm. like fifty million bucks only stateside. This thing was a phenomenon, Halloween. Keep that, uh, keep that in mind, because I'm going to, that's going to segue into the next thing I'm going to talk about. There is a brand new audio commentary with director John Carpenter and Jamie Lee Curtis. Brand new. Mm-hmm. It's good stuff. And there's, uh, there's some other terrific uh, extras on this as well. So if you love Halloween, uh, the movie, this is the 35th anniversary edition. Looks great. Sounds great. Brand new audio commentary. Um, like it. I like it. I like it. So let me get this straight. Um, this made how much money? About fifty million dollars domestic. So about fifty million dollars domestic. So worldwide, what about sixty, seventy, eighty, seventy million? Let's say seventy million dollars. So seventy million dollars Halloween globally, and they sent us this lovely Blu-ray book, as you would buy it completely off the shelf, right? They sent it to us. They with the, I mean, they figure, you know what? We made seventy million dollars. We can we can afford to do that. This is going somewhere, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, So thank you, Anchor Bay. Thank you. That's uh, that's really well done. Then there's. And then there's, and then there's Maud? Marvel, and then there's Marvel. Now, when Marvel, um, as you can see, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Marvel. When Marvel released the Avengers, how much did the Avengers make worldwide? Uh, everything over a billion dollars, right? So they could afford to send us. Um, what did they send us, Mark? They, they uh, afford to send us what? Uh, a co- uh, it, it was either Bupkis. It was Zilch. Bupkis. That's what oh, it was. Okay. Yes, it was. It was Bupkis. So they, they, they said, no, we're not going to send you anything because we can't afford to because we only made a billion dollars. Um, there were only like four outlets that, that got copies of, uh, of the Avengers. Well, they, 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 they've stepped it up. 
So they made how much with Iron Man 3? How much did Marvel make with Iron Man 3? Let's just say lots and lots and lots of money. Yeah, like 800 million. It's close to a billion. So they figure, well, you know, we're doing pretty well. So we'll send them this. This is what they sent us of Iron Man 3. The the Blu-ray in a little tiny white envelope. Yes. No, this is not even a multi-disc set. Nothing else. There's there's nothing here. This is just, yeah, we'll let you see the movie on Blu-ray and screw you. So uh, that's what we get from the, the, the fine, tight-fisted uh, tightwads over at Marvel. Who, you know, mind you, they're very independent over there. So I'm not blaming Disney for this, because Disney treats us really well. We have a really great relationship with Disney. Marvel are, are a bunch of cheapskates and tightwads, and uh, it's a pathetic operation. It really is. Um, and mind you, keep in mind, Kevin Feige vetoed any Oscar campaign expenditures for the Avengers. Uh, which is a fine way to ingratiate yourself with all the people who worked on that film who might want, you know, a, a shot at getting an Oscar nomination. I mean, for, sure, did, was it going to get Best Picture? No. Well, visual effects. But visual effects. Costuming, costuming makeup. Uh, the, the, the mixers. I mean, the technicians who worked on that film, you know, an Oscar nomination means a lot to those people. That's a big deal. It's, it's a career changer because they have to go on and get other work. They're not just going to do Avengers movies for the rest of their lives. So it's a really dicked-over thing. It's a really screwy, uncool, dicked-over thing to not campaign to get that film some Oscar nominations for those people. And uh, so, uh, I, you know, this to me is just par for the course. This is a, Marvel is, a, is an infuriating operation, and, uh, you know, maybe we'll repair the relationship. I've been trying to get hold of somebody over there. There are firewalls that protect anyone who has uh, Marvel on their business card, and uh, it, is, it is, but I'm going to keep it up. I'm going to keep it up. I'm going to do my very best to... We believe to, in you, Wade. Yeah, so anyway, that's as much as I'm going to say about Iron Man 3, because uh, uh, they did not actually send us uh, a proper set. You know, a couple of uh, absolutely terrific films, classics without equal from 20th Century Fox, um, and two totally different films, the original The Fly and A Letter to Three Wives. And uh, these are just unbelievable movies. They are really good Blu-rays, and I'm thrilled that they're on Blu-ray. Uh, 20th Century Fox has put out some pretty crappy uh, Blu-rays of their library titles in the past, but both of these films really, really nice transfers, and uh, you should definitely get these. If you have the DVDs, you're definitely going to want to upgrade. They put some uh, this really good extras, especially here on the fly, uh, commentary with David Hedison and his film historian uh, David Del Valle, um, which is awesome. David, I didn't even realize David Hedison was still alive. You know, I, I thought everybody from uh, Voice of the Bottom of the Sea had died. Oh, David Hedison, he's awesome. I know he is. He's great. I just didn't realize he was still around. I just haven't seen him. I just figured, again, I figured everybody on, on Voice of the Bottom of the Sea was dead. Uh, of course, David Hedison was uh, the star of the original uh, The Fly, and it is, it's a great movie. It's, it is every bit as groundbreaking and landmark in its time as the Cronenberg film was in its and they're two totally different movies I mean they kind of occupy different strata in movie history uh, this is at a time when people were making kind of really peculiar monster movies and a lot of exploitation films were coming out uh, The Fly was just really an unusual and uh, it sort of stood alone alongside uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers they were like the two that stood out you know Anyway, really, really terrific. And there's also a Vincent Price biography and a little uh, featurette and a uh, Fox Movie Tone newsreel. And my favorite of these two, however, I have to say, is Joseph L. Mankiewicz's uh, A Letter to Three Wives, which is one of the all-time great movies. Uh, He won Best Director back-to-back. He's the only person who's ever won Best Director in uh, two consecutive years. Did you know that? I did not. He's the only guy who's ever done it. Direct, best director, uh, back-to-back uh, years, for Letter Three Wives and uh, All About Eve. And uh, this was 1949, All About Eve 1950, and of course All About Eve won Best Picture the following year. And uh, this was when Mankiewicz was just in his groove. And it's such a fascinating... It's an, I'm so thrilled they haven't remade this because it's ripe for a remake. But it would be like a lifetime remake, you know? It would just, nobody would do this as a feature film today. But it's just so absolutely outstanding. Um, it basically, you've got uh, three women who receive a letter from a friend who says he's run off with one of their husbands, but you don't know which one. So the three women compare notes to see who it is to try to figure out, you know, and, 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 and doubt is sown, and you think about this event and that event, and when we did this and that, and could this have happened? I mean, it's, re- it's, like, a, it's, like, a psycho- it's like a soap opera suspenser, in a way. A soap spencer? A soap spencer. A soap spencer for hire. Uh, Robert Urich. 
Uh, but it's a great movie. It's really great. Letter to Three Wives, one of the, it's just this amazing script, incredible performances, really tight and claustrophobic, right? You know, because you're, you're dealing with these three women and their, their you know, doubts and uh, their suspicions. It's just wonderful. It's an absolutely terrific movie. Wait, uh, speaking of terrific, uh, when, does our, when does part one of our two-part interview with John Batten be? In just a few minutes. Fine. In just a few minutes, I, I would like to first get through uh, just some uh, kind of foreign, foreign stuff, <laughs> foreign stuff, real quickly. Simon Rumley is a uh, filmmaker. Where is he from, Mark? Where Simon Rumley? Yes. I believe he's from Iceland. Yes, that's right. Simon Rumley, British filmmaker who was inspired by the uh, first three films of Richard Linklater, Slacker, Days and Confused, and Before Sunrise, to do his own trilogy, Strong Language, The Truth Game, and Club Le Monde. And um, uh, essentially, these are all about youth culture in the 90s. They have a, do have a certain link lattery feel about it. Um, the first one is the uh, probably the, the one that works the least. It's about uh, 16 kids basically talking about um, all of their indiscretions and their wild and crazy lives. Um, a little bit avant-garde, not quite uh, the thing you would want. The uh, second one, The Truth Game, is about a dinner party that uh, goes a little bit off the rails. Uh, three couples, you know, just not quite prepared for what, uh, what transpires. And then the last one, Club Le Monde, is much better. This is, um, all takes place in and around a, uh, an underground uh, London club. And, uh, again, all hell kind of breaks loose. Um, interesting filmmaker. If you've never seen any of his movies, it's probably worth, uh, he's probably worth checking out. Um, Simon Rumley? Simon Rumley. It's a good, uh, good trio of films. And then uh, a couple of French films really quickly, both on Blu-ray. One of them uh, is from Cohen, and uh, the other one from Music Box. Both of these were at uh, Colcoa this year. So, uh, and I was on the jury at Colcoa, so I had the privilege of Because I could, I could not be on the jury You could not Colcoa, be on the jury. Because I, prom- I could not promise them that I could watch all the films necessary. Uh, well, it, was, time. it was a freaking grind. Let me tell you that. Sure it was a freaking grind. Um, I watched I'd most, love to do it. I watched most of the stuff on screener. For, and, and thank God for Vimeo, because I don't know how I would have pulled it off otherwise. Because I told him, I said, I, I've got a baby. I, you know, I've got uh, all this other stuff to do. I've got the podcast. I, you know, I, if you're, if you're going to pile another 22 films on top of my life, you need to make it easy for me. So you need to remove commute time and make it possible for me to see these movies without actually driving to the DGA in Hollywood. It's not going to happen. So, oh, look at them. They did. They made it possible. And thank God for Vimeo so I could sit there at night with headphones on staring at the iPad and watch a movie. Because uh, otherwise it was, it was impossible. Uh, Augustine is a, a good movie, not a great movie. stars Vincent Linden and the actress Soko. She's kind of like Cher. She just goes by one name. Uh, anyway, um, she's, a, she's, a, she's a singer. She's a recording artist, basically. So she goes by Soko. It's like, you know, Madonna, Cher, right? It's that same kind of deal. Good. Anyway, uh, this is a true story, and it's a fascinating story. It's a little bit inaccessible, but Vincent Linden is really, really good, and Soko's really good. So it, they kind of get it over the hump. Beautifully photographed. Uh, it's basically the idea about a, it, uh, it's a you know, 19th century story of a, of a, of a guy uh, who was a... Um, he, he was basically trying to get to the root of what hysteria is. You know, he's like a, he's like a, 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 a physician and a psychologist and all that. And um, he's got this patient who's like, she has these weird seizures and epileptic fits and whatever. And he's trying to figure out what really is going on in her. And uh, it goes into a somewhat predictable direction at a certain point. However, all of that 19th century uh, weird, you know, how, like all those movies about doctors doing things in the 19th century, they're always a little bit medieval. You're like, really? Well, because that's, medicine was medieval back then. I know, and it was a little over 100 years ago. And then the amazing film, Francois Ozon's In the House. This is from Cohen. What a great pickup. Unbelievably awesome movie this is. Fabrice Lucchini, Kristen Scott Thomas, Manuel Seigneur. Uh, and uh, Denis Minochet, just really freaking great movie. This is like a Hitchcockian thriller with that usual ozone twist. Essentially, um, Fabrice Lucchini is a teacher, and he teaches literature, and he's got a student that he thinks is particularly brilliant. And he teaches, well, he's teaching, you know, creative writing. He wants these kids to, to, you know, learn to be creative. And he's kind of a frustrated writer himself. And this kid starts writing uh, stories about his the very voyeuristic stories about another friend of his and the guy's family and how he sees them and it winds up he it winds up being this uh, almost um, a little bit like this like Joseph Losey's the servant where the servant becomes the master and the master becomes the servant he turns the tables on his teacher in the most bizarre way drags him into his his this this real life manipulative voyeuristic rear windowy kind of 
Hitchcockian thing. It's very subversive. It's very cool. Really well written. Now, and when you're done, when you're done watching in the house, you should watch in Vertigo the be- in the bedroom. In the bed, there you Double go. Double feature in the bedroom. Double feature. You are the man. And then uh, Milan: Rise of a Warrior is not the uh, the animated Disney thing. This is an actual Chinese film that tells the Milan story the way that it, it always needed to be told. And uh, J. C. Chan who is the, uh, the son of Jackie Chan, and not typically a really good actor, does a pretty good job here. Um, he's not his dad, but you know he's, he's getting there. And uh, the star of the movie, of course, is Zhao Wei, who, if you've not seen her, she was uh, one of the stars of Red Cliff, and she's wonderful here. She's absolutely wonderful. So um, you definitely want to check this out. This is a Blu-ray DVD combo pack from uh, Giant Ape Media. That's right, Giant Ape Media. And uh, this film should have gotten a release here. I would have thought that somebody would have picked this up for, uh, for release, but what a, what a really, really cool movie. Uh, Milan, Rise of a Warrior. Beautiful, beautiful rendering of the story that, I, that, that will tell you how it should have been told. The Disney animated film, which I think is okay, but it's not the, the legend. It's not the legend of Milan. This really takes it to the wall. It's big, it's epic, it's Chinese, it's gorgeous, and it's a fantastic Blu-ray. And now, Mark, without much ado, without further ado, without much ado about nothing, with further ado, I don't know, whatever. John Badham. John Badham. Part one. Uh, I am speaking with, and, and hopefully he doesn't uh, take offense at the flattery, really one of the great iconic uh, film directors of the, the, the later studio era, of the blockbuster era, one of the men who sort of, in my opinion, helped engineer the, uh, the summer tentpole blockbuster back in the 70s and the 80s, John Badham. And, John, thank you for talking to us. You have um, written your first book on directing. And uh, we talked about it some weeks ago, and uh, both my co-host Mark and I find it to be an absolutely fascinating book, Um, not at all the kind of fluff that we normally get from people in Hollywood who just publish books because they want to publish them. But you really come very raw and very open, and in many cases very academic in this book. Could you talk about what prompted you to write it and why at this point in time? Well, I think my first book, uh, which was about working with actors called I'll Be in My Trailer. Right. (laughs) And the the problems that uh, directors often face working with actors, not necessarily the actor's fault. Uh, And after that, I just started learning a lot just from reactions from the book. And and one of the things I uh, kept running across was how much – actors do not trust the directors that they're working with. And and this is uh, especially true in television, where the directors are rotating uh, on a weekly basis. And, and on a, you know, a, an annual year, uh, a, an actor, a lead actor might see the same director twice, uh, you know, and see 12 other directors coming in and out. Uh, and, and with varying levels of skill, usually with a lot of filmmaking skill, uh, camera angles and, and uh, cool effects and stuff like that, but very few uh, people effects, uh, very few <laughs> people skills that they're bringing to the table. And so the actors become very defensive and kind of shut themselves off uh, and, and just say, well, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. Um, which is not not a good creative environment uh, when you when you have people kind of going off on their own. So this book really deals with how do we as directors correct that? How can we get better with our with our actors and and uh, taking you know lessons from life? How we deal with our children? How we deal with our animals? How we deal with our spouses? Uh, you know, trying to bring all of that into help help actors uh, help directors learn how to uh treat their actors better and and get them creatively involved you um you, your career trajectory is so interesting to me because you you always seem to be a step ahead of the zeitgeist you know you you started in television and you got into to making really very iconic films just at that beginning time. I mean, Saturday Night Fever was the year of Star Wars and Close Encounters. So it was part of that, that change, that, that sea change. And then you went back to television right on the eve of before everybody else. Now everybody is saying television is better than movies. You kind of got on that train again before everybody else did. 
Um, so it, could you could you talk just for a second about um, the, before we get back into some of the specifics of the book, the the choices that you make in your career um, for if, if directors want to work in features, if they want to work in television, um, you know, talk about the, the choices that you made and what kind of nudged you from one into the other and then back again. Well, uh, I'm. I guess I'm one of those people that that uh, go where the work is, and um, some 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 of my friends think, well, I'm I'm like a person on a desert island, and and a a a, a ship may come by, uh, and I look at it at, in the form, say, a movie script, and say, eh, I don't want to take that one. Eh, I don't think I'll take that ship, and and. I like to work, uh, so I'm always looking for the best project, whether whether it's on MTV or the Midnight Prayer or you know in the movie theater. Do you agree they that the they don't television even have the Midnight Prayer anymore? So I don't know what what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, do, do, would you agree with this this uh, kind of growing consensus that television is really where the action is right now? That the best work is in television and not features. That seems to be what oh, a lot of people are saying. Uh, I, I think a lot of people are right uh, that that that's where you know the interesting kind of programming it is. You you don't have this tremendous uh, financial burden on you that that the features have uh, gotten into between the costs of the stars that they desperately need to get people to the movie theaters. And the cost of the advertising that's been caused by, you know, advertising on television, uh, that has all gotten so tremendous that that uh, these things, these two hundred million dollar things, become almost de rigueur. You've got to, you've got to spend that much money, and and you're just hanging yourself out over a big yawning chasm. Whereas something that's uh, terrific, like uh, Breaking Bad or Boardwalk Empire or uh, Newsroom, things like that. Um, if you if you make a terrible episode or something like that, it's not a catastrophe for the company. You're not going bankrupt, uh, and you can take more chances. And of course, on cable, you can take even more chances. Now, the first cable movie I did, people were saying, "Why would you ever want to do a blank blank fill in the cable name movie?" And and I go because it's a good script. That's why I'm doing it. Yeah. Why would you not do it just because you're being snobby? Because it's a, uh, you know, now what's it? Well, I might as well say it. why it's a Showtime, and Showtime yeah. does you know great stuff. Uh, but people were just determined to be snobby about it the way movie people were snobby about television in the 40s when it was first coming along. You know, my uh, one of the, the sort of hallmark memories that I have of your career when I was, uh, I hope I'm not making you feel old, but I was i was ready to graduate from high school, and uh, we were looking forward to not one, but two movies in the summer of 83, uh, War Games and Blue Thunder, and wound up loving both of them. And suddenly your name was, you know, among all of us who were in my circle who were sort of movie nerds at the time, your name was on our lips uh, in the sense of, how did he do that? Uh, they're both big movies. They're both uh, tentpole movies. The word tentpole didn't really exist at that time, but they were both, you know, big summer movies that we were looking forward to, getting heavy coverage in Starlog magazine. And, uh, it, you know, it, that doesn't even happen today with all of the, all the tools everyone has. Um, how do you do two big movies in one summer? Oh, how do you have to split I, I your energy that, was, that way? I think that was a... Uh, just a, a miracle of timing, and um, uh, Blue Thunder had a had a long post production process because of the uh, tremendous amount of uh, sound and special effects in it, and and then in addition, its uh, release date got delayed from January, which was a terrible place, into uh, May, which was a much better place. And that was a very intelligent decision. All while this was happening, suddenly uh, the opportunity to do war games came along. And and so for a while I was shuttling myself back and forth between the uh, sound stages of war games over to the sound mixing stages.
stages for Blue Thunder. And and it 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 kept me busy. I don't know that I'd like to do that today. Well, you, you did a great job. That was a very very memorable summer, and uh, it, it 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 definitely lingers. Um, better better movies, I would say, than uh, than almost any of the tent poles that they're doing today. So uh, I hope somebody looks uh, back into the past and learns a thing or two at some point. L- you know, in the book, I think it's so fascinating. You start the book by talking about mistakes. Uh, you, you mistake number one, directed by Anonymous. Number two, the know-it-alls rule. I mean, you you start rolling through in that entire first section five straight mistakes, and that to me is such a fascinating way to to begin the book because you're before you tell anyone what to do, you tell them what not to do. You point out the pitfalls, uh, the 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 speed bumps. Um, do you, you know, from my experience, I went to film school. Uh, that's not typically the way that film school teachers operate. They try to get you excited. They don't want you to actually think that there are any pitfalls. So I found that to be so refreshing that you said, look, this is a minefield that you're walking into. Um, here's what to look out for before you should even think about getting creative. Um, what, was the, what was the impetus in, in uh, approaching those particular five mistakes? Well, uh, if, for, if for no other reason, just to jump in with something that would get your attention, and and something that would uh, that you could get your get your mind around really easily. Uh, dealing dealing with actors is something that's terrifying for directors from the first day they start in film school, so they can they can relate to this real easily because uh the students I get in my classes at Chapman come in and and one of their first questions is always well, what do you do when the actors won't do what you tell them to do and <laughs> and so uh I thought well let's start out with something that that might be hopefully it would be a little bit controversial uh something that would get your attention rather than uh, a more academic uh, investigation into you know how do scenes work and how does how does this work and how does that work um so i i thought this would be the fun part of the book to get your attention and what'll really get your attention will be part 2 so uh yes this will continue next week and until, How's that for a tease? Huh? Yeah, How's that for a tease? Uh, you know what? Even more interesting, insightful banter yes. between Wade and John. Yeah, you know what? It was uh, it was really really fun talking to him. And I and I have to say, uh, just to kind of uh, sort of wrap this out, he um, you you always get this impression of John Badham based on the movies that he's made and the stories that you've heard. And uh, he's really just a, a gentle, soft-spoken guy. You know, the, he's not at all the James Cameron-y type. Which is what you would think. Oh, the guy who made uh, War Games and Blue Thunder and Short Circuit, and you know he's got to be like this this mega commercial guy, and he made these big. But no, he's not. I mean, it's really interesting. It, like he says, he goes where the work is, and uh, it's a it's a job, it's a craft, and he's really easygoing. Doesn't take himself too seriously, but he takes the job very seriously. And uh, I, that was really uh, it was just so interesting and so fascinating to talk to him. And the book is good, right? I read the book. I thought it was terrific. It's a terrific, very book. insightful stuff. It's really good. All right, so with that show is over, we will be back next week with uh, more fun DVDs and Blu-rays, and of course, part two of John Badham. Wait, I have, I have a goodbye. Oh, you have a good, you have an outro. What's the an outro? outro? Go ahead. I, I just wrote, I just thought of this right now. Oh, great! That, goodbye, that's... Simon Rumley.